Here's what's coming up on today's episode. The next generation, I'm already so excited for my kids to grow up. The, all of their aunties are like killing it. Like regardless of what field, where they are, they're just the confidence that women have these days. Like just seeing my 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 sisters and my sisters, I don't just mean biological. I mean my my friends that are my sisters, seeing them all just moving forward, making choices for for their careers, making choices, and it's in not even careers, whatever, whatever way they're trying to move, where they're like moving with like such force. Welcome to the Crying in the Bathroom podcast with your co-host. I'm Beth Barodi. And I'm Heather McDonald. This is a podcast for women who have experienced the career highs, lows, and everything in between. So let's talk about them together. Join us while we share personal stories of our own, as well as bringing on some amazing guests to share their stories. We'll cover everything from corporate to nonprofit, parents and non-parents, promotions and job hunting, and so much more. Whether you're listening to us on your walk to the grocery store, while you're getting ready for work, or as you sit on the cold bathroom floor. Because let's face it, we've all been there. We're just happy you joined us. Uh, in episode four, we episode, we interviewed a woman uh, named Justine, and she started uh, this movement called Living Hyphen, um, which is. And when I was reading all of your pre uh, question questionnaires that you sent, you all identified as these uh, dual nationalities. Um, so it was Indian Canadian, Chinese Malaysian Canadian, Tamil Canadian. Uh, and I would love to just hear more about your experiences growing up, either kind of connecting with your roots on either side, how you deal with that identity, what that identity means to you, um, and just kind of open that conversation with you. Yeah, so, yeah, very interesting. So um, I, I, I identify as Chinese Malaysian Canadian. Uh, why do I put Chinese Malaysian instead of Canadian first? instead of Canadian, Chinese, Malaysian, <laughs> too many, like a tongue twister. Um, so, so my family, my parents are, are from Malaysia. They're born and raised there. Um, and my grandparents are from China. So the language I speak is Mandarin. And so my parents and my grandparents, um, they moved to Malaysia from China. And so that's why they, like my parents would say that they're Chinese, Malaysian. And so I think I just took that from them and Canadian because I'm, I'm born and raised in Canada, Scarborough as well. Um, growing up, I, I, I'm trying to think of how many faces that I saw that were similar to mine. And I think just in the, in the area that I lived when lived in, there were actually many faces that looked like mine. Um, I think it wasn't until I, I lived in Aurelia for a year because I was doing um, some schooling at Lakehead there. I was getting my BSW there. And that was, I think, the first time I felt out of place. Um, Aurelia is beautiful, loved, loved my experience there, but certainly I think I was the only Asian person in my class and Asian person in, in all of Aurelia. Um, and I remember, so this was post my bachelor's. So I was probably, oh my God, I can't even do math right now, but I was in my early twenties. And I remember walking, walking back to the house that I was renting or the room that I was renting in the house. 
Um, and I remember some white girls, sorry, no offense to any white girls, um, but there were white <laughs> you girls. You can offend us, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think there were maybe three, maybe four of them in their car, and I was walking back from school, and it wasn't late, it was still bright outside, and they rolled down their window, and I, they said something to me, and at first, I was like, oh, like, they're, like, asking me for directions, like, I don't, you know, I, I was, like, walking towards them like a fool, and you know what, to be honest, to this day, I don't remember what they said. And I think it was because I was, I was traumatized by it because I, I had never experienced such um, direct racism. And I remember they said something, they drove away and they were laughing and I continued walking home. And I was like, what the hell was that? Like, oh my God, like, did I just experience my first like experience of racism in my like in my early 20s like how lucky I'm at first I was like holy shit how lucky am I like I haven't been no one's called me any like racialized slurs or you know whatever made me feel like shit because I'm Chinese or whatever and then I thought what the hell like that's not right and so I remember just going home and thinking who am I gonna tell like I lived with white girls and you know they're they're awesome and so I, I think I told them and they were just like yeah, you know, we live in a really that shit happens. I'm like, what do you mean that shit happens? Like, I would never experience this in Toronto. Um, but anyways, I think mm -hmm. I'm digressing. Can you remind me of the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a great story to share. I was, uh, I was uh, wondering about the, like, growing up, how you connect to both sides. So how do you connect to being Canadian mm -hmm. and how you connect to being Chinese Malaysian as well? And, and how, yeah, yeah just what yeah. that's like. Um, for sure. And so it, it's funny when you say that and you're asking that question, I'm thinking, okay, well, as a Canadian, I don't feel like I have to do anything special. Like, <laughs> born and raised here, I love poutine, and I, you know, occasionally watch hockey. Like, And so when I'm thinking about, and I, I don't think I really appreciated my Chinese, you know, culture, Chinese Malaysian culture until I had my own family and my own kids and thinking about, oh my God, like, you know, you guys, you have to learn, you have to learn Mandarin so that you can talk to, you know, my, my parents um, speak Mandarin and speak English as well. And I was like, oh, you have, you have to learn Chinese so that you can speak to Kong Kong and Popo. Like they, they would love that. And I went to Chinese school and now I want to, you know, give them the same experiences and just realizing the, the importance of our family history why my grandparents moved from China to Malaysia, the, the, the amazing trek, you know, it's not, it's not any different from any, um, any other kind of immigrant story, like, and my parents making the trek here and landing in Saskatchewan um, in their early 20s as well, like, why Saskatchewan? No idea, but they landed there. And just thinking of all the, 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 hurdles that they had to go through and why they moved from one country to another and ultimately it was you know for their children and mm -hmm. you know when I think about that and I think of my own children like what sacrifices am I making <laughs> I don't know I I'm not sure I can't I wouldn't be able to label them as my parents did like so concretely like um so in terms of how I I keep up to date or how I, you know, 
maintain that cultural significance in my family. It's, you know, really ensuring that we talk about our history, talk about our culture, talk about my parents and, you know, their experience and how back home they didn't have toothpaste. And so, yeah, you've got to brush your teeth here because we don't want to have cavities. <laughs> you know, back home, their teeth just fell out. Look at us. Like, I brought them to the dentist today and they got toys. I'm like, just <laughs> kind of little things along the way. And, you know, obviously just celebrating all the cultural, you know, Mooncake Festival, Chinese New Year, anything, you know, spring, autumn festivals, like anything I can, I can put a name to. Um, and that's important to my parents. Um, is certainly something that's important to me and that I want to make sure my kids, you know, experience. I think it's important to note that Aiden has a, um, her kids are mixed, uh, what is it, is it biracial? Yeah, mixed race. And her partner is incredibly supportive and amazing, JP. Shout out. I don't know if we're allowed to shout out. That was supposed to be confidential. (laughs) Take that out. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out. We love praising partners. Yeah, yeah. No, he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He really is, and so and embraces the culture and everything. Yeah, yeah. And my partner is English and Spanish, and so, you know, he doesn't have a particular strong tie to that aspect of 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 his culture. Um, So yeah, as I said, he really does embrace it and really does encourage it. Just he tries to learn with them. You're listening to Crying in the Bathroom because let's face it, we've all been there. When I was growing up, I think I, it was really hard for me to understand like what my parents were going through. And I think as a child of, or daughter of immigrants, I think many people would be able to relate to this. Um, or it's food for thought in that our parents, I think, had the hardest time. Um, because if you look at it, they were kind of a sandwich generation. Um, they always were trying to ensure, at least in my case, that their parents were happy and pleased. Um, they were also trying to learn and adapt to their children because they were growing up in a new culture and a new environment. And at the same time, they were struggling to make ends meet and take care of everyone in the family. So I think like they probably had it the hardest um, is from what I feel. And I think in all that, like for me growing up, my parents really didn't want to lose their culture. Um, So they made sure that everything that they, they knew or could offer me was embedded into me, whether that be like eating Indian food, learning my language, uh, watching Bollywood movies and Indian soap operas, or learning about every Hindu god and Indian festival that is out there um, and celebrating it. And I think what added to all that learning and engagement was that I lived with my grandma and I grew up with my grandma and she was damn straight making sure that I learned it all and everything was taught to me. So um, I was someone that loved it all. I loved my culture. I still love my culture. And I think it was hard for me because at school, I was embarrassed, uh, particularly when my mom would send me to school with an Indian lunch. It wasn't pasta. It wasn't pizza. It wasn't Lunchables. It was literally Indian food. And I remember like always, you know, turning my 
my lunchbox and trying to eat. So I didn't have to explain to people exactly what I was eating or be, or be judged. And this was when I was really little. Um, and I do remember, even though I grew up in Scarborough, I grew up in a time when there wasn't as much diversity in the early nineties. Um, and I remember over the years that changed, um, and now Scarborough is one of the most diverse places in the world, I think. And um, so that's changed a lot. The other thing I remember from my childhood is accessibility, I think, um, to cultural foods and cultural items like clothing and things that you need for, you know, your your celebrations or prayers. And I think <laughs> what I recall is always... Um, you know, my my parents or grandma or anybody coming from India would bring back back suitcases full of like Indian masalas or like little things like that, that, you know, we didn't get here and weren't available. Um, and if they were, they were extremely expensive. Uh, so I do remember that. And despite all that, like, you know, I recall all the efforts that, you know, my parents did make to make sure that we were um, given, you know, and our given exposure to our culture, I think is what I would say. And it was very different, I think, from when my sister was born a decade later, when she had friends and, that were just like her. She was growing up with people that were just like her, who had parents just like hers. And it was easier for her to share her experiences and stories with her friends because they could all relate to one another. And she didn't have to explain what was in her lunchbox to all her friends that she was eating with um, or be worried about, you know, judgment. Um, so I think like for me that those are some of the things that stand out from from my childhood. Yeah, I think I'm going to piggyback off of you, Neha, because what you said about your parents at the beginning, like that generation, our parents really had it rough. Like I, my mom is still going through this whole appeasing her her mom her mom who's in a long-term care home right now so she's my mom is literally living the life of caring for her mom she supports me in every way possible like i like we live like a few blocks apart from each other just because i need her help and she's caring for her grandchildren uh she helps me with them too like it's just um it's insane to to think about their resilience and just never a complaint not one day does she talk about this i'm tired this i'm tired that nope she just does it and somehow she'll still prepare food after caring for my kids she'll send me home with some kind of curry to say you're probably tired dear here you go and i'm just i can't understand that like i don't know they're they're another breed of humans i tell you our immigrant mothers <laughs> um and also about accessibility i agree with you also neha because whenever we would have need to get stuff, spices, food, this or the other. Um, it was Gerard Street was the go-to for, or even uh, when we have a wedding coming up, we need to buy clothes. And now, oh my God, Indian stores are everywhere. Not like Tim Hortons, but they're pretty much everywhere. <laughs> they're all over the East End and Markham and everywhere. And I love that because there's so much variety mm -hmm. and it's just wonderful. Um, and food, like I always joke to my dad because we talk about their retirement and do they ever want to go back home? I mean, we had Sri Lanka, I'm, I'm Tamil Canadian, so um, I'm from Sri Lanka. My parents are from Sri Lanka and um, there was a genocide there. So my dad's home is no longer there. My mom's home, no longer there. They don't, their home is Scarborough. And I mean, I can understand that. They have their, where they get their rolls and their patties they know exactly where their bakeries are, where their spices are, where their 
grocery stores are, where their friends are, where their senior communities are, their Tamil yoga classes, their Tamil support groups. Like it's all within radius. Why would they ever think of going somewhere they haven't been in years, right? So um, for me, my home, like when I think about my background too, um, I think of my culture, my religion, my everything is my parents, right? So whatever they've ingrained in me, that's kind of, I'm nurturing with my next generation as well. And my kids are mixed race as well. And, uh, but we do, a, uh, we try to do a good job of mixing the two. My husband's not the greatest about integrating his culture until his mother is on a video call. Then all of a sudden <laughs> he's throwing in every Ghanaian fact, every Ghanaian word. And my kids are just like, eh, what? I don't understand what daddy's saying. <laughs> But I've enrolled my kids in, or my daughter at least, in a, in Tamil class, and the joke's really on me because the, the it's virtual, and the teacher's kind of like asking her a question, and she looks at me like, "Ma, huh? What she's saying?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Just let's keep it mute. I don't understand." So I mean, yeah, there are moments where I'm not like I can speak the language, I can cook the food, I you know I love my culture. I watch the movies, we sing the songs, we do everything. I just I can't write or read. Even though I went to Tamil class for most of my childhood, I was always the sit in the back of the classroom, kind of make friends over, learn the material kind of kid. So those are all really beautiful stories. Just (laughs) thank you for sharing those, and just so different. than like my upbringing or, or Heather's upbringing yeah. like it just uh, it's so nice to just be able to listen to you share these stories what advice do you have for women of color or just women in general in terms of thriving in the workplace Maybe advice that you've heard from somebody else or things that you've picked up inherently along the way. Maybe we'll start with Neha. Thank you. Um, I think I would definitely say that it's really important to just embrace yourself. I think it's important to have confidence in yourself and really highlight your strengths. Um, I think it's important to shut out that noise because as we're aware that there's a growing focus on you know, inclusion, whether it's respect to being women, being of color, um, you know, including people that have um, accessibility needs just across the board, there's been more of an effort. And I think it's really important to take on those opportunities that are coming your way and not being caught up in, you know, feeling that you're only getting it because it's a token position that you're being offered because of your skin color. Um, I think we need to start thinking beyond that, because if we are denying those opportunities, then we're not being represented at those tables either, and nothing will ever change. Um, So I think there is power in being at the table. There's power in having a voice at the table. And if we're not entering those boardrooms or entering those meetings, then, you know, uh, it'll still be, you know, a missing (laughs) um, piece um, in the puzzle that needs to be solved and addressed to make sure that there are others that can see themselves in the roles that we will be taking on or will be offered. Um, and I think our kids will see that, right? Like when we were growing up, um, you know, I, I didn't see my parents in any management executive positions. So I think like, you know, the fact that, you know, the next generations will see that when they're ready to work, it wouldn't be a surprise for them or it wouldn't be different, or they won't have to feel that they are a token. Um, so 
take the stuff you're offered um, if your heart is there and you feel you can do the job. Own it, man. That's my big advice to anybody, anyone moving forward, whatever skill set you have, your personality, your everything, just own it all. And as you said, Neha, the next generation, I'm already so excited for my kids to grow up. The, all of their aunties are like killing it. Like regardless of what field, where they are, they're just the confidence that women have these days, like just seeing my, my, my sisters and my sisters, I don't just mean biological. I mean, my, my friends that are my sisters, seeing them all just moving forward, making choices for, for their careers, making choices. And if in not even careers, whatever, whatever way they're trying to move, the confidence that they're moving with that, like, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm thinking of the Tamil word. I can't think of the English where they're like moving with like such force. Uh, they're just, you know, like they're just pushing, pushing the barriers and doing what they like, because I think they're in a, in a space where they feel safe and comfortable. And they're just like, you know what, enough's enough. I'm not going to shy back. I'm going to move forward. And I love to see it. I love seeing women thriving. Love it. I remember a coworker saying to me years ago, just be kind to yourself. And I think that's really, really come to light especially during covid and you know for everyone who's listening like fuck covid like it we are <laughs> so done with this and you know i just be kind to yourself like i remember thinking like even the this when you know my crying in the bathroom story i was thinking like oh my god like i'm crying over this bullshit like here thinking about you know people who i know or families i'm working with who are struggling paycheck to paycheck not even paycheck fucking minimal social assistance checks and child tax and seeing how they can freaking cipher all that and and figure out you know how are we gonna buy food and, and how are we gonna pay for rent or do we have to go to a shelter so that our name can be put down on a friggin' housing list that, you know, is already a 12 year wait list in Toronto. It's like complete crap. And, and I remember saying that out loud and I don't know if it was my partner or, um, or a colleague of mine just saying, yeah, like that, that shit out there that other people are experiencing like that, you know, we can't even fathom. But at the same time, like you yelling at your three-year-old and losing your shit on your kids because of some stupid email, that's really shitty too. So, you know, that's, yeah, it's shit all around. So yeah. um, it doesn't make, you know, you got to just be kind to yourself. Yeah, my crap is crap and theirs is worse. But in your situation and your day and your, you know, in that one particular moment, yeah go cry in the bathroom it's okay yeah. and it's a good <laughs> reminder of like me needing to clean my bathroom <laughs> i need to create more space for myself um, but yeah just being kind to yourself you know covid times and not heather yeah, what's just, your advice oh my gosh i didn't think you were gonna turn it around on me um <laughs> i would say ask for what you want I think that so many women hold back. They're, we're, no, I shouldn't say they, we are often afraid or feel like we don't deserve something. I am seeing the tides change a little bit, which is really cool. But that's the one piece of advice that I give to, you know, when I talk to students or people who are entering the field um, for the first time is ask for what you want. 
the worst case scenario, your boss says, no, sorry, you can't do that project. Sorry, you can't go on that work trip. Sorry, you don't get the promotion. But at least you build confidence that way by seeking out the things that you want and, and showing your passion for your work or for your personal life or whatever it is that you're working toward. And so, yeah, I, I always, I have to tell myself that a lot of sometimes too, is like, mm-hmm. you, just, you just have to go ask for it um, and be okay if, if, if the answer is no. But um, I think it does build character when you seek out the, the goals that you have and, and work toward them. What's yours, Beth? Oh boy. Mine would be make sure that you love what you're doing, even if what you love doesn't seemingly make sense uh, for what you, where you thought your life would go. Um, And I think we, we all, we all love the safety net and we all love our comfort zones. And there's so much more outside of that um, that we could be doing. And I think it was something I really learned um, when I was pregnant and when I went back to work. And I think in my son's first three years of life, I think I had like six different jobs. Um, And it was because I was determined to just make sure I loved what I did. And I was, I was feeling fulfilled in the work that I did. And I think a lot of people in general, but especially women, are scared to take on those risks to go outside of that safety net or outside of that comfort zone. And I think you get to a point where you realize I'm smart, I'm intelligent. If I need a job, I'm going to find a job, um, even if it's short term, but I'm going to do what I love. Um, and so I think that we can kind of take off the constraints of everything has to be linear and we have to do what we went to school for, or we have to do what our parents told us we were going to do or whatever we've kind of built in our head. And we can actually just go and do whatever we want um, and, and make that happen. And so just, I would, I always encourage people to just look outside of what you're doing and, and make sure that you're following what you actually love, not just what is making you feel safe right now. listening to crying in the bathroom we hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on instagram at crying in the bathroom podcast thanks again for joining 